0: Welcome to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're an entrepreneur driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. The best way to stay connected with us is to sign up for our monthly newsletter, faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community, and we would love the opportunity to connect with you in person. One way to do that is to join us in Dallas this September 24th through the 25th at the National Faith Driven Entrepreneur Conference at Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. We'll be recording live episodes and joined by friends like Andy Crouch, Phil Vischer, and the leaders of this movement. Go to our website to register. While you're there, please send us any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you or any questions you might have about being a faith-driven entrepreneur.
1: I push, but I don't push on, you know, mistakes. What I do is push to make it better. In fact is when something bad happens, my feeling, it's like the game of golf. You know, you hit a ball where you are, doesn't matter how you got to that spot, how you, how you hit the last shot. The, the, what counts is how you hit the shot now, the shot you have to get your best score. And when something goes wrong here, I don't, I'm not looking at who caused the problem or whatever. I'm looking for the best way to move forward from where we are.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur podcast. We appreciate you downloading and being with us for another week. If it's your first time here, thank you so much for giving us a try. We work hard to try to equip and teach and guide faith-driven entrepreneurs through our content and through our guests. Well, in the golf industry, there are no more recognized names of excellence than Ping. And for today's show, we get to go out to Scottsdale, Arizona, to interview our guest, John Solheim. Now, if you're a golfer, you'll know that last name, not just as the founding family of the Ping Golf brand, but also as the Solheim Cup, which is the trophy that the Women's Writers' Cup team wins. So the Solheim family, is uh, they are preeminent when it comes to the golf industry. John, he's the second generation of family leadership since the company's inception back in 1959. And as recent as a few years ago, John had the unique opportunity to pass the baton to the third generation of leadership with his oldest son stepping in as the company president. Today, we take a look at their family's journey to become a preeminent brand and what faith looks like in such a publicly recognized company. Let's go talk
0: now to John Solheim. So, John, thank you very much for being on the show today. We're so excited to dive into your story and really want to get right into it. Tell us as we get started here about your family's entrepreneurial journey, starting with your dad. Uh, He's often been referred to as one of the greatest innovators in the game of golf, and the game of golf is a game that probably influences and impacts more games than any other one in America and around the world. Yeah. And so for those of you who might not be familiar with it, what was the early breakthrough of Ping and the story there? So
1: the, er- the early breakthrough was some engineers at General Electric invited him to play, not knowing him that he had never played before. And then he got very frustrated with how he was hit his putts because he felt that him being an engineer, knowing how things work, he should be able to hit the ball straight, and he wasn't able to.
3: Hmm. And That's my problem.
1: <laughs> so he started working and making a putter with uh, heel and toe weighting, which uh, stabilized the putter at impact and kept it from twisting. Most of the putters had all the weight in the back. But, you know, my dad was an engineer's engineer. You know, originally he was a shoemaker and like his father, uh, repaired shoes but got hurt one time and then decided that, uh, well, he should try something else that he doesn't have to work with his hands. But in doing so, he started selling cookware. Hmm. And, you know, what in the world? The war came along and he got a letter from the cookware company that said, uh, this is our inventory. Uh, we can't get aluminum anymore. We'll see you after the war. And, so he took a refresher course that he got kicked out of and put to work, working for Ryan Aircraft in San Diego, and left there for a little bit, worked in the shipyard, standardized the steel and the concrete Liberty ships, and took it from three ships down to one. Then went back to Ryan Aircraft, and, and Ryan, he was working with the engineers that did Lindbergh's plane, but he was made an engineer there. He'd only had one year of university. And was given the responsibility of the first tricycle landing gear for landing on aircraft carriers. Back then, finite element was him building a 45 degree ramp and lifting the airplane up and dropping it on it and find out what broke. Later on, he he worked for Convair, did the uh, ground mount for tracking of the Atlas missiles, and then went to work for General Electric at General Electric. He designed a cabinet for the first portable television that they built. They thought they'd built 40,000 of them. They built 2 million.
0: And are you suggesting that he didn't get injured as a cobbler? He might've just stuck it out as a cobbler. Yeah. Amazing.
1: I mean, but the amazing part of this is that each of these things, working with his hand as a cobbler, Mm -hmm. okay. Learning sales as a salesman. Then working with engineers on how to build things and how to do things, you know, as good as you could. Um, each of those were lessons for him to help him build golf clubs and revolutionize the golf industry. Wow. But it, it just, uh, you right. know, and I mean, from, from GE, along with that was a rabbit ears antennas that didn't stay parallel. They were on, mounted on balls, the first ones to do that, which meant you could set the TV against the wall and adjust the antenna, where before you had to move the antenna away from the wall. Yeah. Then he, this was back in New York, he wanted to get back to California. Mm-hmm. And he found out Gene had a job going there, and he got onto that job, and that was for Bank of America's first computers. He was in charge of the check sorter. So it was the first check sorter reading the magnetic uh, print on the bottom of the um, checks so you know during this how did we end up in phoenix uh they built a plant in phoenix carsten my dad did not want to come to phoenix <laughs> but we moved here in 61 and we've been here ever since and we we love the place we still like to get back to california once in a while it's That's just incredible it's amazing the, the way the lord works and set you up and you know so often I'm a gearhead, too, like my dad. You see something and don't think anything about it being done in a certain way in some other industry. And then all of a sudden, well, how can I use that on a golf club? Will this work in that? You know, and kind of one of the bigger stories, I was up in Yellowstone right after a Solheim Cup a little over 10 years ago. And I had a good camera with me and a... uh, Dragonfly landed on the wood boardwalk near where I was, and he just sat there for me as I took up close up pictures of him and I mean the wings on him just fascinated me, yeah it just the structure that's in him and how thin the sections were and then later on, I found out the dragonfly is the only insect that can controls each wing individually, but I took the pictures back to our engineers' group and said, "Can we build?" The top of a driver with this type of structure, the reinforcing ribs to help the metal flow. Titanium's an interesting metal because it flows like water. Steel doesn't do that. So in other words, there's little structures that let the titanium get out and then, you know, to a thin. So we're because of this we're thinner than anybody else's titanium tops on the drivers, the crown. And, you know, it just gives us an advantage in the waiting of getting, you know, we get it down and getting the weight back.
0: That's so cool. You never,
1: yeah, you never know when the Lord's going to throw something at you that, you know, it took us about three or four years before we converted it into a production product. But
0: it was really you know, I think there's a, there's a greater lesson there for all Fitcher and Entrepreneurs. When you see the world as being created by loving God that's perfect and created all the animals and the insects and, and humans in six days and is He looked at it and said it was good. It allows you to look at the dragonfly and take inspiration from it in, I think, probably a different way. So to see how your theology of the world and God's creation lent itself to a commercial success and a better golf club, that's a story that a lot of people don't have perspective on. And yet, I think that there's a lot that we can take from it.
1: Yeah, Uh, no problem. I mean, it's happened many times where things are out of the blue, and i I'm fortunate to have a mind similar to my dad, but I connect things together very well. And, you know, where I may be forgetting names all the time today, my deep memory is phenomenal. It amazes me when I pull things out of the air that that will work with some of the things we're working on. And, you know, just the Lord's blessed me in a, a great way.
0: So tell us what it was like for you growing up in the business and how you've seen it change and maybe as a part of that, just give us a sense of the size and scope and how many employees you have, what the culture is like. But you've grown up around the business since, well, at least since 1961. Walk us through that. Well, no,
1: no I, I started uh, in 59 when the business started. I was 13 years old. I actually drilled the hole and headed for the shaft to go into. That was my first job. But later on, uh, like the Scottsdale putters that are worth so much uh, – I got paid two dollars and fifty cents for each one I built, but if I needed help to build them, I had to pay the help out of my money. And you know, I hope it you still get paid two dollars and fifty
0: cents for every putter you sell.
1: Well, not today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it would have been nice, but that ended after you know once we started growing. You know that started when I applied for a job at a grocery store, like all my friends were doing because they built one in our neighborhood. And then my dad decided, well, he better start paying me for what I'm doing. You know, but my dad asked a lot, okay, but he got a lot, too. And, you know, we got into it a few times. The first time we really got into it, I was told to clean the shop, the garage, basically. And uh, I worked all day and cleaned that thing, like, better than it had been probably ever. But I forgot to clean the main bench that we worked on. So basically when my dad got home, I got fired, but, uh, and he one. was hot at me. That's a tough one. Well, he told me that uh, my brother would drop me off at wherever I wanted to be dropped off the next morning to look for a job. And, uh, basically I had him take me down to the draft recruit place and they dropped me off. And, and my brother went home and told my dad where he dropped me. Got yeah, my dad pretty worried, but, uh, by the time my dad got home from work, that bench was all clean and we were working back together again, fine. That's you know, so there were, they, there were a few other times, you know, I got fired, too, because I would stand up for things. And, uh, and I quit one time and I was gone about two days. Just uh, I'm the one person that stood up to him and, you know, he really appreciated it. You know, but I also there was a, one thing that I had and that was my mom. My mom was really special. You know, if I had a problem and my dad wouldn't accept something, I'd go talk to my mom and the next day it would be fine. And uh, it was amazing that way. But you know, she, let's put it this way. There was a movie made not too long ago that was uh, hidden numbers. My mother worked for Convair, which is uh, General Dynamics today. And she worked in the wind tunnel and she did the calculations for the engineers and her title was computer so she was the business side of the company and you know when we couldn't figure out how to export things she dug in and took classes and got it done but you know when we needed help with something she was always there totally devoted to my dad and uh, basically stayed behind the scenes but a strong part of the company and you know, in the change of the business, you know, for the generation, she was a key part of that because of the fact that when my dad, Parkinson's took so much away from him, but when he was going through that time, she got a lot done as, because my dad wouldn't talk about anything about when he wouldn't be there. And that made it difficult. But during that time, my mom got things done so that the company would change hands well and really, the business dropped off in those years too. And because of that, you know, the tax hit wasn't as bad as what it could have been. You know, it's just, uh, the Lord's timing is phenomenal. And it's great that we've grown the business back and it's really fun watching my son, uh, take it to the next level. So it's, uh, him and our team here doing a great job. And there's a lot more than just my son in the third generation. So it's a wonderful, caring family.
2: That's great. It's a great story. William and I are both are fanboys. You know, Henry, we don't know how much he golfs, but William and I, we golf a lot. And I think the ping putter is the only putter I've ever owned, different versions of it. But I have to ask a question before we go to the serious stuff. The little ping man, the little logo,
1: what is that little guy? What is he? Well, my dad always kept modeling clay on his desk. In fact, is, I've got modeling clay sitting here on my desk and basically he used it to take another butter and then lay the clay in there and then cut it out to a little bit different shape and so he could look at it and see it well that's kind of the old way of doing things but uh, it works still the uh, I don't use it near as often as we used to but I tossed that chunk of clay at a secretary in our little office in our 2,500 square foot facility and she tossed it back and I tossed it to her again. She said, don't toss it back. And I sat down and made the man and really? yeah, it's kind of that simple. And then my dad, who was going on a three month trip, you know, around the world, basically calling on accounts and busy missionaries at the same time, saw it and said, I want to see that when I get back. And I said, well, is there any adjustments you want me to make? And he said, well, it was a little too tall, so I shrunk it on the spot, and it became a Ping Man. And my brother, Alan, while they were gone, built a three-foot-tall one out in front of our building. And uh, <laughs> it's just uh, kind of an interesting story that just happened by accident.
2: That's great. That's great. Well, the little Ping Man is known by everybody who uses your clubs and in the golf industry. So that's a, that's a great story. Actually, it probably leads itself to the question around, you know, as I think about Ping, and we've had lots of guests that talk about the importance of excellence and preeminence in companies, and I would call your company preeminent in the industry. And I think it would be hard to argue against that. The culture to get to preeminence to get to this level of quality in your brand and in your products and your service. How important is the culture and what made the ping culture able to create a product that's as excellent as it is?
1: Well, my dad always taught us to do everything as well as you could. And so that from how we build the clubs to how we design the clubs, you know, how can we push it to a next level? And my goal. Is not to just be part of it. I want to lead the industry. And I want to lead it in innovation, in design, in quality, and in service. And if you're going to do that, you've got to push in every way. You can't leave anything untouched. And, you know, one of my dad and my problems was when we were designing a club, we kept seeing improvements we could do. So we did the improvement. And it took forever to get them out. My son, when he came along, he was much better at drawing lines and meeting dates to get it out so that it hits the market at the right time. And, you know, it's just, it's bringing us to an even higher level, but to push to be the best, you know, but it takes a lot of wonderful people to help you do that. And I enjoy leading the group, but the group, they get inspired from what I want to do. I, I push but I don't push on, you know, mistakes. What I do is push to make it better. In fact is when something bad happens, my feeling, it's like the game of golf. You know, you hit a ball where you are. It doesn't matter how you got to that spot, how you, how you hit the last shot. The, the, what counts is how you hit the shot. Now, the shot you have to get your best score. And when something goes wrong here, I don't I'm not looking at who caused the problem or whatever. I'm looking for the best way to move forward from where we are. And, you know, it's that simple. You know, you can look back and find the cause of the problem and, and take care of that later on, but you gotta you gotta play the game right now for, for what you can do. And golf is a wonderful example of that.
2: Yeah. It's a great golf lesson and a life lesson at the same time there, which we all need to pay more attention to in both places, I think. So how about your faith and the influence on the culture of the company?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, my faith is just I believe in the Lord Jesus. And, you know, it's that simple. I believe that he's going to guide my path and I don't need to question him. And, you know, whenever something's bothering me, I talk to him. It's that simple. You know, it just he helps you through so much and takes you just – People are amazed at me because things don't bother me because I just, I look for what's to do, where we're going next. And, you know, it's just the Lord holding me up and uh, it handles it all.
2: And would you say that your faith as the leader has shaped the trajectory of the company?
1: Well, my dad's faith and my mom's faith and, you know, my brother's as well, my sister too you know we're all very strong in the lord and we just uh, we trust in him and it's uh it definitely shapes the company on how we do things and the, we have a lot of employees that have worked for us a long time and that's because they know they can trust us
3: mm, that's amazing and as you speak of that this is william here it makes me think about You know, we're so lucky to have multi-generational people come on the podcast sometimes. We haven't had a ton, but we've had a few. And so I'd love to hear a little bit of the story of how your dad passed the company to you. You've now passed it to your son. Just maybe walk us through what that looked like, (laughs) what the travels could have looked like. I I imagine there's a story or two in there from your laugh.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a story. My dad, as I said before, wouldn't talk about, you know, when he's not going to be here. And I talked to him, you know, about, You know, me moving into the office with him to work with him more, and he said no, and you know, I got no place. And finally at a board meeting, it came up to the time to nominate officers, and I told him, Dad, I'd like to nominate you as chairman of the board. We didn't have a chairman of the board at that time, and I'd like you to nominate me as president. And he had a discussion with my mom for a few minutes, and it was done. And it was unanimous with my brothers and, uh, the whole board. So that's when the change happened. It happened all at once. You know, there was a lot of people worried about who would become the leader next because I'm the youngest, but I was with the business the longest. Everybody else had moved out when the business started. Now, my son and I, John, we hit heads all the time. Since i made him president, we hit heads less than ever because my goal is to let him run and i want where i didn't really have my dad with me to ask and get comments on after i took over because of the alzheimer's you know it was difficult and i don't want my son to have that problem i want him to be able to come and talk to me and it's working out tremendously
3: so on the family business topic you know it's so hard to build a company right? It's so hard Mm -hmm. to build a sustaining enterprise and enduring business. You all have built that at some level, all of you, it sounds like your your parents and your brothers and sisters, and and now the next generation. As you look forward, as you think about, when I think about a biblical basis for a company, right? I wonder how you think about what the future of Ping could be with the next generation here, with the future of golf, maybe all wrapped up, just what are your hopes and dreams? I'd love for entrepreneurs to think about leaving a legacy that's beyond themselves, right? There's very few of us that get to do that in business, but it is achievable and it happens. And I would love to hear you know, your thoughts on what it could look like, you know, now that you're not there. And then of course, a future in which...
1: You know, I, I, I'm still mantle. CEO here, you know, okay. but let's put this way. I let the young president run. But where I try to stay in is in the mechanical side, the design side of things. But at the same time, you know, I'm trying to give them more reign, to do things. And I mean, we've got a tremendous staff of engineers that just are really doing a great job. But at the same time, right now, I'm trying to build a couple other products that, uh, you know, may, I don't believe in getting something unless you can make a difference and you can lead. So if I can't do that. I don't want to be in the business. I don't want to be me too, because that's not us.
3: Oh, thanks for sharing that. And as we come to a close here on our time, I'd love to know, You know, we always like to bring our listeners back to the Word of God and to Scripture. And we always find it fascinating to see how God weaves His Word through our guests and through our listeners and how that can occur. And I'd love to ask you if you wouldn't mind, just let us end up maybe where God has you in His Word. It could be today. It could be the season. He could have you, you know, thinking about or meditating on a passage. Just how is He speaking to you potentially in in new ways.
1: Yeah, you know, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 have been always what I've depended on from the Lord. Just, uh, you know, don't question Him, just follow His guidance and uh, He'll lead you on a straight path. And, you know, that's really what I've held on to and where I've gone And it's the same verse my dad did. But, you know, it's kind of funny because I'm a kidney transplant. And, you know, I tracked my kidney for 23 years with Mayo Clinic, knowing that they told me in 10 to 12 years I'd need a transplant. So I always figured I was an in between. I wasn't the person that would lead it to the next. Okay, after the kidney transplant, all of a sudden, there's nothing holding me back. You know, so I started to run, and it's worked out really well. But at the same time, I've, all along, I've thought about the transition, how to move it to the next generation. You know, now I'm, well, this month I'll turn 74, so I'm doing really well for my age. And uh, But I want the next generation to be able to run with it. But I still want to keep putting myself into it, and the Lord is letting me do that, and uh, I'm just thankful for it.
0: That's a great encouragement. I'm grateful, very, very grateful for the time that you've spent with us and our audience. And I've been blessed by this time and I'll never pick up a ping golf club the same way again. And yes, William and Rusty, I do play some golf and no, I would not (laughs) bet on my abilities against (laughs) either of you, but I love getting out there. And my first putter I ever got was a ping putter. And I remember my grandfather giving it to me when I was 16 years old. And he said, this is the best golf club that I'm giving you. And this is a $50 putter and you've got a $5 game. And uh, and that was a great gift, but it showed how much he viewed the brand, even back then. So we're talking early 80s. So thank you very much for your time. You've blessed us and our audience. Thanks so much for joining
2: us on today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. We are very grateful for the opportunity to serve you, the larger faith-driven entrepreneur community, and we want to stay connected. The best way for you to do that is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. And while you're there, we want to hear from you. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you, and it's been very rewarding to see people come to the site and listen to the podcast now from more than over a 100 countries. But it's even more important to us that you feel like this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you on your entrepreneurial journey, one that you're proud of and one that you're going to share with others. Hey, this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from many of our friends, executive producer Justin Foreman and program director Johnny Wills. Music is by Carl Kegwell. You can see and hear more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco.